on Ruthie's Australia, Ruthie's Roadback, powered by ArcPak. Exploring Australia with you for 40 years. Well, one of the big things I've said for years and years and years that the sheep, the, well, the country was carried on the back of the, um, on the sheep's back, basically, yes, for many, yeah. many years with the uh, wool trade. But one thing that's never, ever been... Um, never been lied on here in this country is mining, whether it's been the gold, whether it's been zinc, whether it's coal, no matter what it is, mining has been um, a very big part of this country and has basically made Australia, we are, and into the future we've got uh, enormous amounts of um, gas, we've got uranium, all sorts of things and uh, there'll be plenty of mining done in this country for a long time and uh, probably not so much for a lot of people who sit in coffee shops won't be happy about that but (laughs) it is part of what we need to do if we want to be a financial sound country and Ruthie you're going to take us all the way back to how mining made this country what it is. You know, I think I've given myself an almost impossible task here, Duck, because when I looked into it, I thought, what I'll do is just a little brief history of mining in Australia, because I love mining. I was a miner. I realised the importance of it. But more than anything, being in my 60s now, with the benefit of being able to look at places where I worked 40-odd years ago, I can see that... um, and this is something, you know, I, I really would like to bang through our little green ears here. Um, guess what? Mother Nature always wins, you know. You dig ginormous holes in the middle of nowhere, pile up dirt all over the place. Guess what? Mother Nature comes back. In fact, in so many places in Australia, the uh, holes left by mining have actually stimulated uh, Mother Nature by collecting water. But look, I don't really want to go there. What I wanted to talk about was the incredible importance of mining to our economy. At the moment, it still is. Big time. Massive, in fact. I mean, you just think about mates like your mate, Roger Brown. You know, I mean, there he is with his jet ski and his new Honda Transalp and his four-wheel drive and he's got all the gear. How's he paying for that? By flying in, working and flying out at a mine site somewhere. Kalgoorlie, I think it is. He drives, actually, but yeah. Oh, he drives in, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My mate Jono's driving now too, but he used to fly in. doesn't really matter. The fact is that... Even though we have a bit of an issue sometimes with who's making the most money out of our minds, at the end of the day, there's a lot of Aussies would not get by without the money coming in from the mines. Does that make them happier? That's a question for another day. You know, um, I think it's a bit of a loop myself. I've seen it plenty of times. Guy goes to the mines to pay off his bank card debt or something else and winds up getting used to the fact that he's got squillions of bucks in his pocket and he's, he ramps up his whole lifestyle to the point where he has to keep going back. Mm. But anyway, that's a lifestyle call. Back in the early days, the Aboriginals used to fossick around for interesting stones. In fact, it was an Aboriginal fellow who showed me how to fossick. They've just got sharper eyes than us. So they knew, for instance, funny little things. They knew that there was opal out in Cooper Pedy. Uh, they knew there was opal near Lightning Ridge because they'd picked up coloured stones. They didn't know what gold was. It had no value to them. So they sort of missed that boat to some degree, but it didn't take long for Aussies to pick up on it, I can tell you. The first thing we found of any worth in the ground, in fact, it was on top of the ground, was coal. Guess where? 
there. Newcastle, amazing. The whole place is on a great big lump of coal, really. You've only got to look at the depressions in the highway to see how much has been dug out from underneath. But that was in 1790s, 1798. The um, ship owners actually started to haul surface coal out of Newcastle. And believe it or not, by 1799, you know, not that long after good old Captain uh, Cook discovered the place, we shipped a boat full of coal to India, thus starting the export of Australia's dirt, not dirt, but minerals, overseas. So there you go. Right from the very start, that's what was going on. But by this stage, you know, people were starting to think, oh, I wonder what else is out there. Bearing in mind that out there at that stage wasn't very big. You know, we hadn't really got over the um, the mountain ranges up behind your place, Duck. We hadn't gone too far mm. at all at this stage. And so Australia was a fairly small place. But pretty soon, you know, uh, lead was found on the outskirts of Adelaide in 1841. Um, where there's lead, there's often gold and silver. And there was also a, a very old English law that applied in Australia, which was that any gold and silver that was found on uh, any property belonged to the Crown, okay? Well, that doesn't really encourage people to go looking for it, does it? But what does is when people pick up nuggets and they pocket them and they cash them in and suddenly they're the richest guy in town. They got years worth of salary because they picked up a few nuggets. Basically, they found gold in the United States in 1840s uh, in California. A lot of Aussies shipped over there straight away, you know. Why would you do that? Why would you take a month's worth of risk, you know, probably cash in your whole life, really, uh, sell everything you got and head overseas? Well, it's because this gold thing, Let's. We need to sort of work this out right from the start because it populated Australia to some degree. Gold is an amazing metal, you know. When you look at it, it almost gives you a thirst to find more. I used to be a gold prospector for quite a long time, and there is nothing more beautiful than the glint of gold in a black pan. It just turns you on, you know, like nothing on earth. And then, of course, there's all the, the side effects of that, which is, you know, obviously you've got, you've got money, but all of a sudden, in a world where you're working 12 hours a day, six days a week for someone else, you're your own boss. And this is fairly amazing. And this is what was happening in the 1840s. So gold was discovered over here. The first uh, place it was discovered was not too far out of Melbourne. Now, we've talked about this before. And I just need to go through it one more time. We talked about it with Burke and Wells, how wealthy Melbourne was in such a brief period. In about 10 years, the place went from being a tiny little hovels around a creek, you know, let's not call the Yarra a river, don't get carried away, um, and all of a sudden, 15 million pounds a week flooding into Melbourne from gold, picked up literally out of creeks and off the dirt around the creeks, not too far away, all right? So all of a sudden, you had half the world coming over here. I mean, one in 10 people who landed here were Chinese. They'd heard about the gold and they just, people were flooding in from all over the world to the point where... You know what was going on? It's kind of weird in a way. In Melbourne, for instance, they just couldn't handle the expansion. It was that quick that at one stage on the edge of Melbourne, there was a huge tent city that was set up 
on the government's uh, agreement, even though it was sort of a hovel town, really, it was, but they had to house all these people somewhere. You know what they used to house them? The sails from the ships that were in the port of Melbourne. Why? Because they weren't going anywhere. Why? Because most of the sailors had jumped ship to go and look for gold. So they pulled the sails down, made tents out of them, and that served as accommodation for people before they headed out to the goldfields. This is what happened. 15 million a week coming into Melbourne. All of a sudden, the place is just going berserk. Buildings, all that centre of Melbourne, all those beautiful old buildings, you know, all the places the Greens hide out in now with their air conditioners on full bore. All those Here's places. You're the Greenies today. Oh, mate, I don't like them on a good day, yeah, honestly. I mean, you know, waste of space. But uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you've got all this money just flooding in. So Melbourne, within 10 years, became the second richest place in the entire uh, Commonwealth, the British Empire at that stage. It's amazing when you think about it. Now, that's what happens with gold. And this started to happen all over the place. They found lead over in the Murchison River in Western Australia in the 1840s. They found gold, Castlemaine, Ballarat. That was actually 1851. That's what kicked off the Victorian gold rushes. They found um, gold in 1852 down in Tasmania. They found it at Golgong in New South Wales, you know. They started picking up gold all over the place. They found it at Dalesford at Evans River and Beechworth and, and Bathurst know, and Hill End and uh, Bathurst and Hill End. You can still, find it. You can still find it at Hill End. You can, but they took them a while, mate. Took them a while to get mm. there. But anyway, uh, and pretty soon, you know, we had riots because the legislation, as always, couldn't keep up with the people coming in and the the tide of what was literally going on. Before long, we had the Eureka Stockade in eighteen fifty three. I mean. How, uh, what would you call it, thunderstruck was that as far as Australian history goes? You know, the, the Eureka Stockade, all ca- caused because of mining, because of gold. Do you know what, Duck? I knew this would happen. Here we are. We're about five years into it. Mm. That's all. And I'm getting close to the end of this segment. I'm going right. to have to pick it up and run with it next week too. I don't mind because mm. it's all about mining. But mm. That would be good if you were here. We'll have to get you on the plane. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh, gee. I'm yeah, going to be well, in trouble. We'll I'll about... do it when I get back. <laughs> well, I'm sure Gina Reinhardt's looking forward to the uh, to the rest of the story. The iron ore. <laughs> she's, going to, she's going to be part of it, mate. She's a big part of it. Massive I mean, Lang Hancock, the Pilbara. Who Massive. lost money back in the Poseidon days? You know, days. It's boom Massive and bust. It's man, all boom and bust, mate. Your man Clive Palmer as well. Well done. So, but plenty of people have made money. BHP, look at that. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, do you know what? That's that, I've got to tell you this one quickly, mate. Most expensive card game ever, BHP. Tell you about it next time.